Amen. All right. All right, if you don't have a Bible, you know where they are. They're on the back table, those blue ones back there. If you need something to take notes in, um, there's some KF student notebooks back there. You are welcome to take one of those. Can we turn this mic down just a little bit? It's really echoing up here. Awesome. All right, so show of hands, who in here has a dog? Okay. I need to know if any of you are cruel to your animal like I am sometimes. Let me, let me tell you what I mean here for a second. Okay. Have any of you ever combined your dog and a laser pointer? You know where I'm going with this, right? I know some people think that's mean, and it may be a little, but it's funny too, isn't it? You get that laser pointer out. We used to have a dog by the name of Bailey, and Bailey was this little cocker spaniel. And Bailey, if you know anything about Cocker Spaniels, they don't have long tails. They, they bob their tails and make them short. So when a Cocker Spaniel gets really excited, it's not the tail that moves. It's the whole back end that goes all over the place. And Bailey, I figured out one time that if I took a laser pointer and started shining it on the ground, Bailey lost her ever-loving mind. I mean, she, as soon as she saw that red dot, she tried to bite that red dot. And I just wanted to test this theory, so I started moving it around the floor, and she's walking and running around the room, just biting at the ground, biting at the ground. So I started doing it in circles, and she is running in circles all over the room, and I thought, I want to try something. So I ran it along the floor, and I popped it up on the wall. Guess what Bailey did? She ran nose first right into that wall, trying to bite that dot. She believed with everything in her that if she could catch that laser, that little dot, that she had done something. And I, I, that's mean. I'm a horrible person. I don't care. It's funny. We do it all the time anyway. I love my pets. It's okay. But she believed with everything in her that if she caught that thing, she was going to be good. She had accomplished something. The problem was every time she got to where it was and every time she reached out to grab it and to grab a hold of what that thing was, she found out real quick that it was empty. There was nothing there. She couldn't actually grasp that laser, could she? She could never get a hold of it. And we think about dogs and we think, they're so stupid because they'll chase that laser and they'll go after it and they'll go after it and they'll never realize you're not gonna catch anything when you try to catch that laser. And as dumb as we think dogs are, guess what? You and I do the same thing. Yes, I just called all of us dumb dogs. We do the exact same thing. We chase things in life, things that we think are going to make us happy, things that we think are gonna bring us peace, things that we think are gonna bring us joy, and we go after them and we go after them, and right when we get there, right when we think we've got a hold of it, we find out really quick, it's empty. There's nothing there. It's not really giving us what it is that we think we should have. And that's exactly, as we jump back into 1 John chapter two, that's exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about pursuing things that are empty especially as believers. There are things in this world that, that we, are, we, we let our focus be drawn to. We let our attention and our affections go towards. And what John starts to tell us in this book is that those things are empty. And those are not the things that we're supposed to pursue. In fact, I'll go ahead and tell you the two main things he talks about in this chapter tonight. He talks about the fact that we're not supposed to pursue empty promises and we're not supposed to pursue empty people. And they're both real. They both exist, and we go after them all the time. But before we get into reading the passage, let's walk through the questions. Who wrote the book of 1 John? That's all right. We, we don't know for sure, 
But the safe assumption is it's probably John. What are the other books he wrote besides 1 John? John? 2 John. Third John. And Revelation. All right, okay. So just walk through all of them. I just want to make sure you guys know exactly what you're talking about here. All right, so we know who we believe wrote it. When do we believe it was written? That's not what I asked. Long time ago? Give me some dates. 90 to 95 AD. Okay, who was it written to? Yeah, believers, Christians. Do you have a different answer, Katie? We're going to talk about false teachers in just a second. He talks about false teachers, yes. So you're right there. You're just answering a little too early. Do you remember what the main idea of this book is? Actually, there's three of them. Truth, obedience, <laughs> you shouted it out. Laura raised her hand. She was so disappointed behind you. It's truth, obedience, and love. And, and, and we saw that last week. Those are the exact things that he talked about in that first part of chapter 2 last week. We saw truth, obedience, and love. And these are three main ideas that keep popping up over and over and over as we walk through this book, which brings us to the why he wrote this book. Do you remember why he wrote it? To warn us, she didn't wait to raise her hand that time. To warn us about false teachers and what else? To warn us and what else? Anybody? To encourage. To warn against false teachers, but also to encourage. Remember, there, there were some false belief systems that were creeping into the church and, and people were believing them. They were, they were believing lies about the gospel and about who Jesus was. So John is writing this to say, hey, don't believe those things. Don't trust those things. Don't follow those things. Let me point you in the right direction to the things that you know to be true. Because if you remember, we talked about this for several weeks now. If we have bad theology, if we have bad understanding about the gospel, who Jesus is, and how God has called us to live a life that honors him, then the things we do on a daily basis are based on lies. So we've got to rightly understand what God's Word says so that we can live it out in obedience to Him. So tonight we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2. We're going to read verses 15 through 27. We're going to stop just shy of the end of the chapter, and we'll pick up there next week. So if you will, please stand in honor of the reading of God's Word and Miss J.D. Ellison. Come on up here and read for us tonight. Y'all don't know this. I've been trying to get JD up here for like the last two weeks, but she's not been able to make it. So I'm glad you're here tonight. Thank you. Okay. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in for the all oh, sorry. Okay. For all that is in the world, the lust the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that... They all are not of us, but you all. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no one lie, because no lie is in the is of the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, 
The one who denies the Father and the Son, whoever denies the Son, does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. If, you, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also will abide in the Son and the Father. This is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concern, concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing which you've received from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all the things, and is true, and is not a lie, just as it has taught you, you abide in him. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us all here tonight. I pray that you speak through Pastor Jesse, and that you put your hand over all of us tonight. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, Miss JD. Y'all can have a seat. All right, so that's a whole lot of verses and a whole lot of stuff going on. So let's, let's just walk back through some of it. If you remember last week, in verses 7 through 14, 14? 7 through 14, um, what John did was he, he encouraged believers. He was talking about loving each other. He was talking about, hey, you know these things, hold to these things that are true. But now he makes a shift. He goes from encouraging them to warning them. Remember, that's one of the reasons he wrote it, encouragement and warning. And the things that he's warning about are what I've already told you. He says, don't pursue empty promises and don't pursue empty people. Empty promises is the first thing we see here. Look back at verse 15. He said, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. He says right there, don't love the world or the things in it. Now we need to make a distinction here because there's times in scripture when you see authors or writers talking about the world and it sounds like they're talking about it in a bad way. And there's other times in scripture where you hear that phrase, the world, and they're talking about it in a good way. For instance, John 3.16 says, for God so loved what? The world. Okay, so God loved the world. So the, the world that, that God's talking about there, the way it's being referenced there, is not the same way it's being referenced here. This is not talking about God's creation or God's people, okay? Because that tells us in John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he sent his son to die for our sins. The world that he's talking about here is a system of beliefs or rebellion against God. It's a worldview that there is something other than God that can bring peace and joy and hope to your life. That's what he's talking about when he's talking about the world. It's these beliefs, it's these things that we pursue that don't honor God. And what he's talking about here is that if you love any of those things more than you love God, then God's not in you. That's not me saying that. That's what scripture's saying right here. He's saying your love for God has to come before every other thing in your life above your boyfriend, above your girlfriend, above your sports team, above your work, above your school, above your car, above your food, above your phone, above your family, above everything. In fact, James says it this way, James 4.4, he says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is, is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Both John and James are saying right there, when you give your love, when you give your affections to things that lead you astray, things that don't honor God in your life, then you're not in line with God. 
James says you're an enemy of God. That's what that enmity means. It means your mind is set against who God is. He's saying don't give yourself over to those things. Don't pursue empty promises. And then John goes on to give us some examples of what that looks like. He talks about uh, the the idea that, um, where is it? He says the desires of the flesh. All right, let's, let's just stop there for a second. Desires of the flesh. Those are, those are things that we do with our bodies that don't honor God. You know, some people would say gluttony is in that. Eating too much food. Eating food when you don't need to. That's what gluttony is. Some people would say that relationships are in that. You chase a boyfriend. You chase a girlfriend. You let your friends become gods in your life. Some people would say physical intimacy is a part of that. These are all things that God has created. God created and made our bodies to need food. God created us to be in relationship with other people. We see that all the way back at creation when God says, let us make man in our image. God is in relationship in the Trinity and he created us to be in relationship with him and other people. These are good things. Even that physical intimacy, there's a place and a purpose for that in the context of God's design for marriage. And yet what happens is we take all of these good things out of the context and the confines, the the standards that God gave us those in, and we start to twist those things. And we start to let sin creep in there. And when that sin starts to twist those things, all of a sudden those become things that are never what God designed or intended for any of us. That's what he's talking about when he says desires of the flesh. And then he goes on and he talks about desires of the eyes. Basically, what you choose to focus on, where you let your attention lie, where you focus your eyes determines where your affections will go. Think about that for a second. Where you focus your eyes and where you let your mind wander, that's where your affection starts to go. In the book of Matthew, it says this, Matthew 6, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you, if, in, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? It's in the things that happen in your life, it starts here where you give your attention, where you give your focus. In fact, if you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, we see that it was the desires of the eye that led to humanity's choice to disobey God in the first place. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Basically what that means is going after what looks good without considering whether or not it's going to lead you in obedience to God can be a fatal mistake in your life. That's why it matters where your eyes go and what you look at, what you spend time with. And then he talks about there the pride of life. Pride of life is basically being concerned with your own sense of self-importance. You are the most important thing in the world. What you want, what you think, what you do, you are more important than anybody else in the room in your own mind. The pride of life, whether it's in yourself or whether it's in the stuff that you have. But then he goes on there in that end of those verses and he says that every bit of that is gonna go away. All of it's temporary. All of the things that we give our attention to, all of the things that we give our affection to that are not God, they're gonna be gone. 
And one day, none of those things are going to matter. All of those things that we allow ourselves to pursue, they will not last. God is the only thing that is eternal, and we have to pursue Him. That's why John says there, don't pursue empty promises. Because all that's going to matter when all of those empty promises are gone is what is true and what is real, and that's Jesus Christ. And that's the fact that He calls us to pursue holiness with our lives. And what we talked about last week, he calls us to center our lives on his love, to live in obedience to his word, and to follow his truth. So John says right there in those first couple verses, don't pursue empty promises. Don't pursue the things that are going to let you down. Don't pursue the things that are going to be just like that little laser pointer. When you catch it, there's nothing there. And now you've got to start that pursuit again. Pursue what matters. Then he goes on in verse 18 and he starts talking about the idea of of not pursuing empty people. He says, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Now let's make a distinction here. John uses this term Antichrist in two different ways here. The first one he's referring to Antichrist, which is the one we learn about in the book of Revelation. That is the one that, that will come and will oppose God and will deceive the world. He's talking about that future to come antichrist, but he's also talking about right here the fact that there are people who were present here when this were, was written, who were coming into the church, and who were preaching things that were untrue according to scripture, and he's calling them antichrist. Those people that take the word of God and distort the word of God or simply just outright deny the word of God. They are opposed to who God is and people who claim to be followers and teachers of God's word. But at the end of the day, there's nothing there. They're empty. They're empty of truth. They're empty of obedience and they're empty of love. And we know that that was going to happen because Paul actually warned about that happening. In Acts chapter 20, verse 29, he said, I know that after my departure... Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Paul said people are going to come in telling lies. Empty people. People who want to deceive you. People who want to fool you. People who are going to take God's word and they're going to twist it for their own gain and for their own benefit. We see the same thing in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. And John echoes these same words. There are people who are in the church who are distorting God's word. And as they do that, they are leading other people astray. And he gives us the illustration of what that looks like in 1 John 2, 19. He says it right there. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. He's talking about people that have left this church, 
people who were there, people who were in step, they were there. You know, we, we can imagine they were worshiping, they were studying scripture, they were right there doing everything that everybody else was doing. And yet there came a time where they no longer aligned themselves with what that church believed and they left. And they didn't hold to the truth of scripture. They claimed to be followers of Christ, but their lives have proven the opposite to be true. He says if they had truly belonged to Jesus, they would have continued to follow him. Now let's bring that into modern terms because there's some confusion about this. You know, we have a, a phenomenon that happens today is called church hopping. Have y'all heard of that before? You haven't? Here's what that looks like. That's okay. That's good. Here's what happens with church hopping. You go to one church. Eh, it's okay. Not really a big fan of the music there. Preaching's okay. So you go to a different church. Oh, okay. Preaching's meh, but the music I really like, but I don't like this. So you go to another church, and you jump, and you jump, and you jump, and you jump. Okay? He's not talking about church hopping. He's not talking about people who are trying different churches and trying to find where they can plant their life and where they can serve and where they can grow. Because, quite frankly, you need to try churches so you can find the church where you are going to be where God wants you where you are being encouraged, where you are growing, and where you can serve the body and serve the community. He's talking about walking away from the church and never coming back. He's talking about leaving the church and saying, I don't even believe that stuff anymore. He's saying, when you see people who do that, he says, they weren't real believers. They weren't people that had true relationship with Jesus Christ because if they had, if they had experienced salvation, if they knew the truth of God's word in their life, they wouldn't be able to walk away from it. He's saying, don't be with the people who just walk away. Make sure you are not following empty people. Make sure you are not following those false prophets, those antichrists, those false promises. He's talking about don't be someone who walks away from God. Don't pursue empty people because they will lie to you and they will tell you who God is. And when you follow them, you will find out real quick, none of it's true. But then John does what John does, which is a good thing. He goes from warning them to encouraging them again. He's bouncing back and forth. First part of chapter one, he encouraged, then he warned. Now he's gonna start encouraging them again. Look at what he says in verse 20. He starts off, and what he's telling the people here is to pursue the truth of God. He said, don't pursue this, don't pursue this. This is what you need to go after. Verse 20, but you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. He says, if you're a disciple of Jesus, then you've been indwelled by the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches us that in the moment of your salvation, if you are forgiven by God, that in the moment of your salvation, you are sealed by the promise of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells your life, and that is how God teaches you. That is how God helps you understand His Word. That is how God shows you how to live obediently to Him. It's through the Holy Spirit working in your life. And John says, if you have been anointed by the Holy Spirit, then you belong to God. And you know what truth is. He's kind of making an Old Testament reference here. In the Old Testament, there was a practice of, of anointing people with oil because that anointing of people with oil was an outward sign of the inward presence of God. 
That's what happened at times in the Old Testament in a person's life. And a true disciple, what John is saying here, if you belong to God, then you've been marked by the Holy Spirit. You've been anointed by the Holy Spirit. He is a part of your life and you know God's truth and you know God's word and you follow it. Think about that for a second. It's kind of like when your parents give you a rule and you know the rule and you know what their expectation is and you actually obey and you do what they tell you to do. It's the same principle here, only it's much more important when it comes to the Word of God. And he goes on, he continues in verse 21. He says, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. He says, you know what lies look like when it comes to the Word of God. You know the truth, so you should know what a lie looks like. Every one of you has experienced that in your own life. Have, have you ever gotten in trouble with your parents for lying? You know how they know you're lying? Can you smile? Because <laughs> they know you. That's exactly right. They know you're lying because they know the truth. They already know. Let, let, okay. You got a 50-50 chance when your parents ask you something and you think you're caught in a lie. I'm, I'm just going to lay it out here. Parents, if you're in the room, I'm sorry. Because one of two things is happening. Either they know you're lying and you might as well fess up, or they think you're lying and they hope you'll fess up. Okay, you got a 50-50 shot, but here's the thing, you never know which one it is, so you might as well just tell the truth all the time. But that's, that's, what, that's what he's saying here. He's saying, you know the truth. You know God's word. Just follow what you know to be true. Don't believe the lies. Don't fall for all the other stuff. Stick with what you know to be true. And he keeps going right there. He says, verse 21, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, then you know the truth of God's Word. And anybody who denies that truth, Scripture says right there, he's a liar. Here's the thing. You can't claim to know Jesus and reject God. You can't claim to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and reject God's word for your life. You can't say, I've got a relationship with Jesus, but those things God tells me I'm supposed to do to live obediently, nah, he and I have a deal. I don't have to follow those things. It doesn't work that way. If you say you've got a relationship with Jesus, then God is a part of that and God's word is a part of that. And we can't deny that Jesus and God are the same thing. They are one. That's what Jesus said. John chapter 10, starting in verse 22, said, At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you were the Christ, tell us plainly. But Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. Verse 
Jesus says it in all of those words there. God has put them in my hand. No one can take them from my hand and no one can take them out of God's hand. He says right there, if you know me, you know the Father. So that's why when John talks about in 1 John chapter 2, he says, if you deny that Jesus is the Christ, then you deny the Father, which means you deny the truth of Scripture. He says the truth is not in you. But if you know the truth, you have to pursue it. You have to live obediently to it. Confessing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior means you claim to know God intimately because you know him through his word, because you know the person and the work of Jesus. And then he goes on in verse 24. He says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. He says, remain faithful and don't let yourself get distracted by new and interesting sounding things that work to captivate your attention. You've got to run everything you see and hear through the lens of God's word, through the truth of scripture. When you're on social media and you're seeing posts and you're seeing reels and people are talking about God is this and God is this and the Bible says this, don't just like it and move on. Stop and open your Bible and see if it actually says that. See if it's actually true. Don't fall into cultural Christianity and think, oh, that sounds cool. That sounds like God. I'm going to like that thing. No, check it against God's word. Everything you see everything you hear. You guys have heard me say this I don't know how many times and I will continue to say it. When you come in here on a Wednesday night or you sit in class on a Sunday morning or wherever you are, it doesn't matter who's teaching, who's preaching, open up the Bible for yourselves. Bring it with you. Read it. Check the person that is teaching you about God's word to see if what they're telling you is actually what God's word says. We have to run everything we hear through the lens of scripture so that we don't pursue those empty promises and those empty people. Because look at what he says is at stake right here. This is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. What is at stake when it comes to the word of God in your life is your salvation. It's your eternal soul. This is not just something we can toss away. This is not something that's not a big deal. This is everything. Don't throw that away because something or someone new and shiny comes along and promises something that is nothing but lies because they've distorted the word of God. And then John finishes here in verse 26 and 27. He says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you have received from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. He says, don't listen to anything that you hear that is contrary to what scripture says. That's what John's dealing with right here in this church. People are coming in, people are teaching things, people are changing the truth of what scripture says, and other people are just believing it and walking away from the faith. He says, don't do that. We understand the word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Now, when he says right there, (laughs) let me clarify, he says, you have no need that anyone should teach you. That doesn't mean you never need a teacher to help you understand the Bible. What he's talking about there, he's saying, hey, if you've got a relationship with Jesus Christ, you understand the basic truths. 
You understand who Jesus is. You understand what he did. You understand who God is. You understand that he sent his son to pay the price for your sin. You have heard the gospel of Jesus, how he laid down his life on a cross for your sin to pay the debt that you and I could not pay. How he took his own life back up when he walked out of that tomb. He conquered death. He defeated sin once and for all. And how he calls every single one of us that would to put our faith and trust in him to be forgiven of our sin and to pursue him with the rest of our lives. He's saying, if you know that, you know those basic truths, then you know who Jesus is. And that's what you're supposed to pursue to pursue God's truth. So my question for you as we wrap up tonight is this, what are you pursuing? Are you pursuing empty promises? Are you pursuing the things that seem like they're gonna fulfill your life? The relationships, the stuff, all of those different things that look like they're gonna make you happy and at the end of the day, they leave you wanting. They leave you broken. They leave you needing to pursue something else. Or are you pursuing, are you pursuing people that are empty? The people that are making promises to you. The people online that talk about God and it sounds so encouraging and so incredible and yet the things they're telling you are not what scripture says. Is that what you're pursuing? Or are you pursuing the truth of God? Are you spending time in his word daily? Are you getting in here for yourself in your Bible? Better question is, do you know where your Bible is? Or is it so covered in dust that you don't know what it says anymore? What are you doing? What are you pursuing? Because there is only one thing that is gonna matter in your life at the end of all things. And it's your relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's the life that you live to honor him through his word. Stop pursuing empty promises and stop pursuing empty people because they will fail you every single time. Pursue Christ above everything else in your life and watch what he does. Let me pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your son, Jesus. God, we thank you that we can spend time in your word. And God, we thank you that we can fact check things in your word. God, that we can know who you are. That we can know the love of your son and the sacrifice he made for each one of us. God, that we can know what it looks like to live obediently to you. God, that your word shows us all of those things that we pursue that just leave us empty. All of those people that we pursue that just leave us empty. God, help us to pursue you. Help us to pursue your truth. Help us to pursue your son and the holiness you've called us to. God, help every single one of us tonight to walk out of here knowing that we've got a relationship with you through Jesus. And God, if there's anybody in here that doesn't know that tonight, has questions about what that looks like to have a relationship with Jesus or what it looks like to pursue you above everything else, God, I pray you'll give them the courage to make that decision right now. God, if they've got questions, give them the courage to come talk to myself or come talk to one of the other adults in the room. But God, help us to pursue you above everything else. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.